ask you this. Let, let, let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central. Chicago Sports Conversation with Adam Hogue. Go, go, go. This is Sports Central. On demand and streaming live on WGNRadio.com. What's going on? Happy Monday. This is Sports Central. Adam Hogue back here with you. Back from Arizona. Kevin Powell, you heard him last week filling in. He's here too. Did you bring us souvenirs? I did not. All right. Thanks. Sorry. It's okay. I thought about... I didn't bring any for you guys. Yeah, you didn't bring me. You were there for two weeks. I was there for four days. I brought a bunch of... I felt like I was covering a, a Bears training camp. Yeah, it was an injury every two seconds. It was John Fox walking around Camelback Ranch. Can you can you report that? Was John Fox and his training staff like lingering around the White Sox and causing all these injuries? I don't. I don't. It's just a freak thing. I don't. You and don't. Now uh, Saladino's out for seven days after colliding with Nicky Delmonico. He has con- uh, concussion-like symptoms. Call for the ball. Call for the ball. That's Call right. for the ball. Communicate. These are the sorts of things you learn in spring training. Communicate. Yes. Uh, that's frustrating. All right. Um, we'll sneak some baseball into the conversation today, but it is the day after selection Sunday, so we'll talk a little bit about the NCAA tournament. Are you one of those guys that, um, like, some people think they're, they go full-blown, like, I'm an expert this time of year, and they've watched, like, four college basketball games, but you watch quite a bit of hoops, don't you? I do. Yeah. I do. So you're into it. I do. I also watch a lot of golf. We're going to talk about Tiger. <laughs> I know you do, too. We'll He's dis- back. We'll discuss some Tiger. It's official. Teddy Greenstein is uh, an expert on both of those topics, so he's going to join the show today. And then there's a, you know, my phone, every two seconds here, is buzzing with some kind of Bears free agency news. Most of it minor so far. Everything we sort of expected. But still notable. Um, so we will keep you updated with any free agents uh, news that comes up because now agents can legally talk to teams. Newsflash, they've been doing that for weeks. Sorry to break that story to you. It's now legal tampering instead of illegal tampering. Which is just tampering. Now it's not actually tampering. I love the people who get really upset about this. Um, but anyway, the, the big day is Wednesday, but some deals are starting to go down. So we'll keep you updated on that. Let's dive in right away, though, with our lead. They were the number 10 seed. They were 2 and 8. It affected it. What, they were number 1 seed before they went 2 and 8? To drop all the way down to 10? <laughs> 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 they were two. They were two and eight. You said affect their seating, so they got in comfortably. But they were two and eight, so they, they must have been a really high seed before they dropped all the way down to ten. That's Charles Barkley last night on the what was official NCAA tournament selection show, and he's talking about Oklahoma there. All right. So on Mondays, we like to talk about the highlights and lowlights of the weekend. All right, we'll get to the highlights in a second. Let me start with the low light. That show was terrible. Didn't watch a second. I don't know why they decided to change the show. It went from CBS to TBS. Okay, so uh, I guess w- new producers, whatever, was based out of Atlanta. They changed the show up, and what they did was, instead of going through the bracket by region like they normally do, hey, here's the team playing this team, and that's how you learn you're in or not. They just released they, it all right from the they start. They went... Here's alphabetical order. 
your teams that got in automatically, your automatic qualifiers, and then they went to the to the at large. It was it was so boring because here's the thing: if you don't have any of those teams. If you don't have an emotional investment in any of those teams, it was just boring. It was Greg Gumbel and Ernie Johnson reading off alphabetically the teams that were in with no excitement over what the matchup is or anything. And especially with the automatic qualifiers, you already knew who they were. Lost all the excitement. Did they say why exactly they were just releasing all the names to start? Because I, I had seen this story days ago that, that, that this was already news, that they're going to... This is how they're going to do it this year. But I didn't see any reasons why exactly. I don't know what the reasons were. But the other problem is, if you are emotionally invested in one of the teams, like let's just say, what's a team that didn't, like Notre Dame didn't get in? They're a little bit down in the alphabet, but still in the middle-ish. So you go through the ends and your team didn't come up. What, What reasoning do you have to continue watching the show then? Oh, didn't get in, bye. Whereas at least in the past... You'd have to wait until that last bracket was unveiled to know if you got in or not. There was more suspense. And there was no suspense with this last night. It was not entertaining. The production was shoddy. The graphics were popping up on the screen while they were still talking about the last team. (laughs) So it'd be like, Oklahoma's in, blah, 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 and then the next team would pop up on the board. And like, if you're one of those teams... like. They're still talking about Oklahoma, and meanwhile, the suspense is being killed by the graphic popping up behind them on the next team to get it. Then they kept showing the teams, like the live shots of the teams wherever they were with the camera on them, and it's like they didn't know anything about a satellite delay. Yeah, they kept mocking it. It's like well, it, so they would show them for like five seconds with no reaction because there's a satellite delay, and then they, they would all of a sudden react, and they would. It's like they panicked and cut out of it. Like, they weren't expecting the delay, and then they would make jokes about it, too. Yeah. Like, way, way to stay alive there, kids. And it's like, well, they, they can only react as quick as the feed gets to them. Yeah. And you knew that going in. There's always a satellite delay. It happens every year. So, and then there was, like, no live analysis to it. So they would have... uh like Seth Davis actually at one point tried to like say something about one of the matchups. Like I think Alabama's going to win that game or something. And I think it was Greg Gumble like mocked him for already picking the game. Save it for the show. Uh, th- this this is the show. And he's yeah he's <laughs> right. Yeah. The only analysis was really um, Clark Kellogg talking about his Tar Heels and Charles Barkley talking about his Auburn Tigers. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they put Barkley on the college bro- college hoops broadcast like two or three years ago, and it's been nothing but negative reviews because he doesn't watch college basketball. See, I he, he, I like Charles enough I that I'm fine with it. Okay, I'm, I just I'm, accept the fact he doesn't know what he's talking about, and I'm I'm there for the entertainment. I'm cool. With, I'm cool with you there, but he, he's best after an initial reaction to watching a, a game. Yeah. Like for these sorts of moments when you're basically recapping an entire season and you need some insight and some in depth perspective about a team. He's not the guy. He's great for like I'm fine with him on the call, like do it like or you know right after a game, immediate reaction, immediate analysis because he's just watching it right in front of him. But in terms of like a full body of work, he has no clue. He has no clue. He's probably watched a handful of games. Half of them is Auburn Tigers. So this was all in the first like 30 minutes of the show when they were just like unveiling the teams. I I don't know. I like the 
I guess I don't have a problem if you didn't want to do it by region and not and not and I think they wanted to save them in the brackets and come back to that later, like with the thinking that it would keep people hooked longer. I don't know, but I just the alphabetical mundane way they unveiled the teams was just very boring. What I would have done is gone by seed if they want to do it differently. Here's your one seeds. Here's your two seeds, here's your three seeds, here's your four seeds, and build up the suspense till once you got closer to the bubble, yeah. like, oh, this this, te- this team's in. And then they could have shown a graphic of, all right, here are the teams that are still on the bubble, here's the teams that still got in, and then they could have slowly moved them over as they unveiled the last at-large bids. It was just very unsuspenseful the way they did it. And I don't know. I just... I yeah, just, when Kevin talked about the announcement, that's what I thought was happening. I was like, oh, that, that sounds like a good idea, where they'll show all four number one seeds, and then they'll kind of you know, do some digital, you know, and throw them out into the yeah. brackets. And yesterday, the first 15, 20 minutes was just such a gigantic waste of time. And maybe it would have been better if there was a Northwestern-type team that hadn't ever been in, and you get that huge you know, 7 to 20 second delay payoff, where it's like, oh, we're in, wow. But it just, there wasn't anything like that. There wasn't... Uh- yeah, I would say that uh, I had almost no interest in really watching it this year because it was lacking that Northwestern buzz. I mean, Loyola, of course, but we knew they were going to get in. I mean, we knew that. So I think it was missing some buzz to start with anyways. Yeah, I don't know. It was just the, by far the worst thing of the weekend for me. Oh, real uh, quick, that, by the way, can yeah. I just bounce in here? This is a media relations email from the White Sox, and this just shows you how much interest there is in this White Sox rebuild, NBC Sports Chicago is going to broadcast 17 Charlotte Knights games this season. So Sox nice. fans can get a glimpse of the future. We yeah. saw it last year when they started doing it with uh, Yohan Moncada so people could watch some of those guys. So I just thought that was interesting. 17 Charlotte Knights games will be televised so you Sox fans can follow along with the rebuild. Yeah, I subscribed to the uh, MILB package, actually, for 50 bucks last year. Yeah, I did I did it last year, too. And I watched a lot of games in April, and then I kind of tailed off from there. Yeah, it was a lot harder to watch baseball than I thought it would be. Minor league baseball, you mean? It was a lot yeah, harder. Just, it, there's just something about like the you're excited, and then well, like midway, yeah. Like, yeah. If, there's if, always like some the camera guy are, who's like an intern, you know. The camera's like shaky or <laughs> like cuts away. It's just, but I don't. It's, it's not the sharpest. The games broadcast. weren't in HD a lot of times, yeah. and I felt like today's technology. Yeah, like you could. You I could mean, it's, it's set your iPhone up on a tripod and get it in HD. Right. I mean, it's not like, and it's not a knock on NBC Sports Chicago because it's not their actual production. You know what I mean? They're just picking. Well, up I'm the sure feed those from, games will be in HD. Yeah, but they're just. I'm talking about the ones he's talking about on MILB.TV. But are there broadcasters for it? Yeah. It's like the locally produced games. Well, sometimes it was like the radio feed put over. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, there was (laughs) some some shoddy. And for me, it would have been nice if there were just notifications like, hey, Giolito's on the mound. Hey, Moncada's about about to get a hit, you know, or not get a hit. But yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. Mm hmm. Moncada home run yesterday. Eloy Jimenez home run yesterday. Jose Breu home run yesterday. Reynaldo Lopez four innings, no runs. Eloy on Saturday, man. Wow. That was awesome. <laughs> wow. Okay. Against the Cubs, begging Renteria, begging Ricky to put him in. Yeah. And then Giolito's watching so while he, you guys were talking to yeah, him. Yeah, so here's what we need to negotiate with the White Sox this year. Um <laughs> 
every time they're trailing in the eighth or ninth inning, they should send me downstairs to the clubhouse to start interviewing somebody. Because when Luis Robert hit his home run on Wednesday, I was interviewing Yoan Mancata in the clubhouse when it happened. And then... So you kind of missed both. Yeah, I mean, at least I was there for it to cover it. But I was not sitting live watching the game at those moments. I was in the clubhouse both times. They're trailing and big-time home run. So I'm thinking that that is... Look, if they're going to blame me for the injuries, for showing up, you know... From Bears, and all of a sudden, now, uh, yeah. now I'm covering the White Sox, and everybody's getting hurt. Then I got to take the credit for being in the clubhouse for these home runs. I'll give you that. And a lot it's of injuries, a lot of injuries piled up when Adam Hug was out there, but a lot of uh, fun moments also happened as well. We have Eloy's home run from Saturday. Oh, one two on Eloy Jimenez. There's a high fly ball. This is charged right center field, going back to the track at the fence. Opposite field home run for Jimenez. And the White Sox recapture the lead on a two-run homer here in the eighth. They now lead 4-3. to three. That was a bomb to right center. Wow. On an 0-2 pitch. Oh, he's special. He wanted to play today. The manager listened to him. And a good thing he did. Yeah, he was pushing all week to play. And... Renteria told us before the game that he would for sure play Sunday, would be in the starting lineup. And he was making the trip, so he never ruled out that he could get in the game. He was making the trip to Mesa, but it didn't seem like that was going to happen. And I guess Eloy was pushing him the whole game, pushing him the whole game, then he gets in there. Uh, Of all the prospects that have been creating buzz for the White Sox, if you talk to baseball-type people, like people in the game, they all point to Eloy Jimenez. Yeah. Of, of him being the potential star of all this. But, man, what a moment for him against the team that traded him. By the way, I haven't had a chance to plug, if you don't mind, Paul at the Park podcast is yep. up. I launched it last week. Talked to Lucas Giolito and uh, some Cubs talk with John Greenberg. WGenRadio.com, and it's now on iTunes as well. So you can subscribe there. We'll have another episode up later this week. Giolito's a really good interview. Great interview. Calculated guy. Knows what's up. I didn't ask him about his whole Grandpa Seinfeld connection, and people were asking me why I didn't. You've heard that story. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. he's been asked at length about it. It's like every interview he does, yeah, he just so talks about I'm like, that. I'm not going to ask him about it. It's like when I interview Lee Steinberg, it's like you're contractually obligated to bring up Jerry Maguire with him because he's the guy that the movie is based off of. Gotcha. So every interview he's done his entire life, he gets asked Jerry that question. Maguire, yeah. It's like That's why I just avoided it. Yeah. So, um... That's obviously one of the highs of the weekend was Eloy Jimenez's home run against the Cubs. Follows it up with another home run yesterday. But we got to talk about Tiger Woods because the Tiger Woods phenomenon, I'll mm-hmm. let's just call that, is back. I don't know. I'm not sold on this idea that Tiger's back. That all of a sudden, I am. Okay, we can get to that. You can tell me why you think that. But there's no question, though, that the excitement and the just look no one has ever had an impact on a sport the way that Tiger Woods has probably Michael Jordan for basketball no because basketball went on just fine without him golf is not the That's same without point. Tiger That's a good point yeah. I'm not saying Mike I'm not taking no, away anything from mean. Michael's career but LeBron showed up you know and and, and look right. there was a dead period there I think there was definitely a, a it a, my interest in basketball went away a little bit when Michael retired certainly but 
it, it recovered. And maybe someday there'll be another golfer like Tiger that, that can do that. But I don't know, man, because I, I remember writing back in 2011 when Tiger's decline kind of first started to pick up. That because I love golf, you love golf, and I was I remember writing like there's Bubba Watts in here, there's Roy McIlroy, there's all these young guys that that are still worth watching. That it doesn't have to all be about Tiger, but that's a golf enthusiast like me that can say that. For the average viewer, that all of a sudden Sunday was what time is what time is tea time? When's the golf start? It's the Tiger effect, hundred percent. I was at the South uh, Southside Parade down in Beverly yesterday. Hanging out with a bunch of blue-collar Southsiders. We're drinking beer, hanging out, enjoying the day. And even that group of people, some of them had golf interests. Some of them didn't at all. We were outside. There was like a bonfire. and People are out you know, hanging out. Everyone went inside to the house and sat on the couch and watched golf while the Southside Parade was going on. We bounced in and out, but for the most part, I was glued to the TV. People who never watch golf in the middle of an event, in the middle of a day, we're inside watching Tiger Woods play golf because mm-hmm. he was a, he was in in competition. That putt on seventeen, my God! By the way, highest rated non major since twenty thirteen. That was the Players Championship. Reminder: This was the Valspar Championship. Yeah, no one knew that the Valspar existed. Thing, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 it's not an it's not a major event on the PGA Tour calendar unless Tiger Woods says I'm going to play because I need to tune up for the Masters. Mm-hmm. And reminder, he has one more tune-up coming in the Arnold Palmer, uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational before the Masters. When's that? That's this weekend. And this then week can come week off, and then it's the, then it's the Masters. Yeah, because Phil say. wasn't even playing this weekend, right? And he won last week. He won last week, and I don't was, think he was in the field this week. Um, I don't. I don't think he was either. I didn't see him all weekend. So, look, the the, the putt on seventeen was exciting. His putting throughout the rest of the the round yesterday wasn't. He missed a lot of close ones. He wasn't sharp with his irons. That was his problem. He was leaving himself fifty foot putts. Yeah. Instead of attacking the pin. So he finishes one stroke back. If he had played like he did Saturday, he probably wins the tournament. Um, but it was just really exciting. To have Tiger back involved. Now, I want to hear you tell me why you think he is actually back. Well, his club speed swing, the, the 122 mile per hour club heads speed. Um, there's confidence in the swing. He's healthy and he's pain free. That's why I think he's back. And the swing's there. You know, I mean, people could be like, well, he's not a big hitter anymore. I'm like, really? I was watching a par five where he bombed at 321 yards, and for the yeah. day, it was the longest of the day. So he's got the club head speed. The swing is there. So for me, I don't know why why anybody would say he's. It's just for me, it's just a health thing at this point. And he looked confident. You know, everybody's well, like it's been between the ears with Tiger, and I'm like, yeah, it's been between the ears for a lot of different reasons. A major part of that has been because Tiger's been injured. You can't have confidence in the swing if you can't do exactly what you want because you got pain in your back. So what's stopping his back from just giving out at any time? Well, they, I mean, this is a, this was a major surgery. This was that's why, but that's why fusion surgery, which I basically I'm not going to play doctor here, but basically his doctor told him that essentially to re-injure that fusion would essentially be like breaking your femur or one of your strongest bones in your body. So I mean, that's that's pretty sturdy. Okay, you know what I mean. It's not like a quick fix or a little thing here or there. That's that's a huge surgery. Well, hey, I would love for him to stay healthy all season and be competitive and and win a major. Um, you know, I I understand the people that are have like lost their respect for Tiger and look at him like, 
you know, he's a bad guy, which maybe he is. But you know what? I, uh, I think he's a. I cover a lot of athletes who are bad guys. If you're expecting every one of your your favorite players to be a saint, you're probably uh, pretty naive. Yeah, I normally tell people don't root for like the players. You know, root for a team. I guess in golf, it's a little bit different. Golf is different. But with Tiger, it's like, is he a bad guy? I mean, I guess it's just whatever you it's however you define that. Bad husband, yeah, probably. Bad dad, no. You hear nothing but good things in that department. Yeah, I. It's good for the game. Uh, it's it was a great weekend to just see him involved again. It's awesome, and um, it was freaking awesome. Yeah, let's hear a little bit from Tiger from the weekend. I was I was close. You know, um, I had I had a chance today. Um, unfortunately, I just didn't quite feel as sharp as I needed to with my iron, so I was playing a little conservative because of it. Uh, I just needed to handle the par fives a little bit better. I, I missed a short one there at four for par. Uh, should have two putted fourteen. I know that was. You know, a long lag putt, but I was trying to leave it below the hole. I just overdid it, and I missed it. Um, made a nice putt at 17, gave myself a chance going to 18, and you know, the only thing you can't do is leave it short, and that, that grain just chewed it up as it went up that hill, and um, unfortunately didn't get it there. I will say emotionally, he, I liked that he was pretty upbeat about the weekend. You know, I think he kind of surprised himself a little bit. See, when I was listening to that, I didn't really hear... I, f- I felt like um, that was Tiger not being content at all. Like, I, I feel like that he has that competitive drive that he's always had. Like, to me, I think he, he was he was pissed that he didn't win. You know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, but I, I think... saw some other interviews he did where he was... I don't know. He seemed happy with his performance. Yeah, happy with his performance. But I think overall results, I don't know. By the way, second in the field in clubhead speed. That tells you a lot. I mean, the guy's got confidence in his swing. Means he's healthy. So, you know, I, I think Tiger has every intention of competing at the Masters this year. And that's that's basically every offseason in his mind and the tournaments he plays early on in a season. It's all for the Masters. It's all tune-ups for the Masters. Well, hopefully he competes in the Masters. Tiger, on a C- Sunday, Augusta. Why does Patrick Reed, by the way? It totally annoys me. He wears the red and the black. Well, it's not like he. Tiger. No, 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 no. You don't wear it's... the red and black on Sunday. You don't wear black pants and red. It's like Rocco Media wore red in the 2008 U.S. Open, and everyone's like, "What are you doing?" All right, if like, we're talking, he was going against Tiger Woods. If we're talking about some random color like dandelion or something, like it's not like Tiger red, has ownership over the color uh, red. He pretty much has the red black ownership down. Yes, he does. <laughs> I mean, like. And I'm not even saying it's a respect thing. It's just like, what are you doing, man? And it's like the exact... Maybe Patrick Reed grew up watching Tiger, and that's what he wanted to do. Well, he definitely grew up watching... I mean, it just it just annoys me. It's like, what are you doing? You can't wear black and red on Sunday. Don't do it. Unless you're Tiger Woods. I don't know. A lot of colors no. out there. I'd wear it just to get in his head. Yeah. You're Especially if you're playing with him. Please. Wear like a Tiger Woods hat. Yeah, yeah. The TW. Just fist pump from... Yeah, then Tiger one. would just bury you right after that. That would 18. just be added motivation. I don't think you want to do that for, to Tiger Woods. Yeah. It'd be like taunting Michael Jordan, sticking your tongue out. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like what Paul Casey said though. After the, after the round, he he was like genuinely excited that he beat Tiger. He's like, I beat Tiger. <laughs> I've never been able to say that. <laughs> that was cool to see him win. I know most people well, didn't give a damn. Outstanding final round uh, to even get in that position. All right. Um, let, let's take a quick time out. We'll uh, we'll 
catch up on the. I do want to talk about the bracket a little bit. There was this controversy about Oklahoma, which I don't know. I'm like struggling to care with college you guys? in general. No, not that's. I'm excited for the tournament, but I, like I'm every year I say this. If you're on the bubble, you've done something wrong. Like yep. you deserve. There's so many teams that get in. It's not like college football where. And even even the teams this year between Alabama and Ohio State in college football, you could be like, "Well, you shouldn't have done that. You should have won that game." Yeah, so over it. I mean, the arguments are just listen, man, play better. It's, yeah. Like you're over what? Like the people getting snubbed or whatever you want yeah, to call it. I, yeah, I don't care either. Couldn't care less. Yeah, uh, I think and everyone's going to get. There's always going to be a team every year every that's, that's on year. the bubble that doesn't make yep. it. Right. And the only time it's, it's it stings a, a little story. bit more when it's a team that hasn't been to the tournament before. Well, yeah, you know what or, I mean? Or, or maybe doesn't go every year. Yeah. If it's like a blue chip program, I don't. I can give. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't care. Or or you get the salty coach. You get the Jim Beheim. You know, because mm-hmm. you know that it would be a bigger story today if Syracuse was out instead of in. That's uh, the other thing. I got these numbers and this and that. It's like n- nobody cares, dude. Just these, play better. <laughs> these older coaches are just constantly complaining. Oh, yeah, Kellen like, Perry's already bitching about the uh, Coach K with the officiating the other night, and every time it's just, dude, you. Kellen Perry's upset about their travel and and accommodations and all that stuff. I think they'll be just fine. <laughs> Let's take a quick timeout on Sports Central. All right, let's continue this love fest. There it is. It's Sports Central with Adam Hogue. No big deal. On demand ah. and in real time on WGNRadio.com. All right, welcome back. Sports Central, Adam Hogue, Kevin Powell here with you today. Talking a little, little bit about the NCAA tournament. And so I guess the, the big thing that it seemed like Charles Barkley and Dickie V were upset about yesterday was Oklahoma. Because they were on the bubble, and they got in as a 10 seed. So it wasn't even like they were one of the last four in. Oklahoma State was also on the bubble. They didn't get in. Uh, Notre Dame did not get in. Notre Dame's a perfect example. Uh, they they had a somewhat legitimate gripe because their best player, Bonzi Colson, was hurt for most of the season. They still were 19-14, and 14, though. You know, like, I, I'm cool with, and, and I know the committee does take into account injuries. I've been through that process before, um, a mock NCAA tournament committee meeting down in Indianapolis where I learned a lot about this stuff, and it was awesome. But it gets back to what I was saying before the break. I mean, if you're on the bubble, you did something to be on the bubble. And if you didn't get in, it you know, it's it, that's mostly on you. Now, I do find some of the stuff. It, yeah, Oklahoma being a ten seed is a little weird. Uh, let's hear what Dickie V had to say. D- Dick Vitale was not very happy about the Oklahoma situation. Somebody explain this to me. I know I'm a dummy. I know I can't spell. I know I can't read. I can't write. I have no math skills. But I want somebody to explain this to me. How in the world can Oklahoma State be sitting home today and Oklahoma in the tournament when Oklahoma loses 11 of their last 15 games? They didn't win one game in the year of 2018 on the road. And on top of it, Oklahoma State beats them twice. Not one. Twice. Oklahoma State beats Kansas 
twice. Oklahoma State beats West Virginia at West Virginia. Oklahoma State beats Florida State. I see no logic. They can give me all the talk they want about early, but they did early 14-2. and two. There is no way in the world that Oklahoma State, if Oklahoma's in, Oklahoma State had to be in the tournament. I think it's a disgrace. I think it's an embarrassment, and it's a humiliation to what this tournament's about. I really tell you the truth, it frustrates the hell out of me. <laughs> I love Dickie V. That's like as fired up as I've ever yeah. heard him. Like angry. He's always fired up, but angry about something. See, I, I You know what? He made a great argument. He made a great argument. But for me, I, I think the argument should have just been centered around Oklahoma State. Like, they got screwed. Oklahoma being in, I mean, it's it's just Trey Young is why they get in, right? I mean, yep. that helps. That's, yep. And and then is it's it a storyline, which honestly I'm fine with. I want to see the best players in the country play in the tournament. Well, I think 100%. it was Pat Forty who brought up a good point though that a lot of these teams that didn't get in are part of this scandal. Oklahoma State being one of those teams. So in your little mock, did you guys factor in scandals in your mock uh, NCAA tournament bid? Mock scandal draft? Well, then the vi- <laughs> well we could do our final four for that. Kentucky, how, Duke. How do, we, how do we factor in prostitution on campuses for college basketball teams? Is like what chapter is that in the uh, mm-hmm. NCAA Louisville tournament? Louisville didn't get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. The local team that we'll be following, of course, is Loyola. The Ramblers. Yeah. We had Porter Moser on a couple weeks ago. Um, they open on Thursday at 2.10 p.m. against Miami, Florida in the first round. I'll be watching. It's a good story. It's a good story, for sure. I mean... I don't know much about Miami, to be honest, but I wouldn't be surprised if Loyola won. David Hall made the case in the Tribune today that they can... Sweet 16? I, well, he was suggesting Final Four. I saw Loyola play one game, the championship game against uh, Illinois State mm-hmm. Redbirds. Sorry, Kev. Yeah, uh, fear the bird. Yeah. And I saw Miami play one game when they beat North Carolina at North Carolina. That's, yeah. you know, two totally different opponents, totally different conferences. Uh, I, I think they could hold a, hold hold their own. But Well, they're, uh, uh, here, here's what Loyola has going for them. Experience and they have five double-digit scores. It's going to insane. They're a steady team. They don't shoot themselves in the in the foot. You know what I mean? Like some of these teams are streaky, and you're like you, you you can tell they're just relying on pure raw athleticism. This is a team that I think plays together, plays well. No, yeah. I agree with you. I saw that game, and I think I saw one one other game with Loyola this year. And to me, it was just they're just steady. You know what I mean? Like they just don't put themselves in tough spots. But can you hang with a team that's got a ton of athleticism? I like the region they ended up in. I know. I'm looking through it. I'm like, damn, maybe they could go. I, I mean, mean, who scares you that they would have to get through? They have to get through Miami, then Tennessee, then Nevada or Texas, and then Cincinnati? Hmm. Cincinnati's really good. Cincinnati's really good. Cincinnati could go to the Final Four. But, I mean, look, if they win a game, that's definitely a victory for Loyola. If they win two, they're officially Cinderella. And then you never know what can happen. But, I, I mean, I think the Final Four is a little shooting a little too high. But, you know, it's like Northwestern last year. They got one win, and they gave Gonzaga a hell of a game. That's what you want to see. And with a better call there with the uh, yeah. the block shot, maybe they would have won that game. So I think that's what you're looking for from Loyola this weekend. What is my Final Four? I don't know yet. Is there less of a buzz around Loyola this year? Because it is coming on the heels of Northwestern, what they did last year. I don't 
think so. I think Loyola, especially in the last couple of weeks, has gotten plenty of attention. From the media, I think the media has done a hell of a job covering it, but do you think like locally, casual fans have a ton of interest like they did last year with Northwestern? Did they with Northwestern, though, last I year? I think so. Or was it, you I know... Think it was, I think it was pretty... I think it was pretty legit last year with Northwestern. Okay. Well, a good. I mean, part- I don't know. I'm not saying it's not. It doesn't have the buzz. I'm just curious how you can how you'd compare both of them. Well, a good, that's a good question for Teddy Greenstein, who's on the phone right now from Chicago, Chicago Tribune. Teddy, I don't know if you heard that question, but I did. Well, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I'm of course the worst guy to ask, right? I mean, I was <laughs> like you, Adam. I mean, I was consumed with Northwestern last year and have completely, uh, you know. Then I kicked Northwestern to the curb about six weeks ago and fell in love with Loyola. Um, just an amazing story. Great parallels uh, to what Northwestern did last year in terms of, you know, doing it with incredibly likable players, veteran guys who've been there, a coach who is a plus with the media, who's ridiculously, you know, telegenic and all that stuff. Um, and our look, our papers given Loyola stories incredible play, just like we did last year with Northwestern. Um, I will say that you know we also probably judge some of this by page views. You know that's probably a way to measure interest. And certainly the story I did about Charlie Hall and Julia Louis Dreyfus last year got a lot of attention. I don't think you know my a run of the mill Northwestern basketball story rated quite like a bear story so i think it's a decent number of people who are along for the ride maybe not a huge number in both cases did you see the selection show last night most of it i was uh, juggling a little bit had to keep my eye on the bulls and then um, yeah watched the selection show and watching everybody trash it on twitter yeah, I, I didn't trash it on Twitter, but you know, sitting back and thinking about it, I I didn't like how they did it. I I didn't. I, my my problem wasn't that that they changed it up. It's that I just the alphabetical thing, especially with the automatic qualifiers. Like we already knew those teams were in. I, I would have liked to see them go seed by seed, gradually build it up towards the bubble, and then you can kind of lay out. All right, these are the teams that still have a chance to get in. This is how many spots are yeah. left, and then they could have discussed it, and then they're like, all right, and here's here's what happened. I it just it seems so mundane to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, people like things how it was, and, and that's a, a great example. It's like, it wasn't broke. Don't try to fix it. Don't stretch this out two hours. We don't need more Charles Barkley uh, pretending he knows about these teams. Um, just, just give us the bracket. So I certainly understand the frustration. I mean, I didn't think this show was that terrible and that it really didn't take that much time to find out what was going on. Like, we got the bubble teams after, I think, 12 or 13 minutes, and then the brackets came after that. So it wasn't atrocious, but it's one of those things, you know, how social media is. Like, you go into something with a narrative, and then everybody is just going to find a way to justify their feelings. Uh, And I certainly, you know, have no sympathy for Turner because, yeah, stretching that out to two hours was uh, excessive, to say the least. You know, I sort of equate March Madness to the Olympics, where outside of the actual event of March Madness, most casual sports fans are kind of keeping an eye on college hoops, may not be completely dialed in like they are this time of year. Same thing with the, with the sports in the Olympics. But just like the Olympics, America you know, starts watching and we fall in love with teams, we fall in love with storylines, we fall in love with players over the next few weeks here. Outside of Loyola, what's a storyline you think is going to emerge in this year's March Madness, whether it be a player or a team? Yeah, you're, what, you're not following Chloe Kim like 12 months a year? Come on now. She's, uh, she's spectacular. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely paying attention to her now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a potential for a lot of great stories. I mean, being in the Midwest and caring about the Big Ten, 
I definitely want to see what happens with Michigan um, and really all the Big Ten teams because of the experiment, because of the fact that the tournament, the conference tournament, was a week earlier, and this is uncharted territory. And I think the extra time is actually going to help Purdue, uh, Michigan State. It might as well because Sparty just didn't play well in New York at all, so they could probably use a bit of a reboot. But if Michigan loses early in this tournament, people are going to you know have their pitchforks out and say, "Wait a second, you know th- th- these guys were." playing so great a week ago and now there's a 13-day layoff or whatever so you, you totally messed them up so that's interesting and i know dan dockage uh, proving blood is thicker than anything else in the world uh has picked ohio state to win the national championship coincidence his son plays for ohio state so so that's <laughs> bears watching but yeah yeah for me it starts with uh loyola the teams in the big 10 and then i'd say deandre Ayton and arizona because right now uh, Bulls fans are going to be watching him play and crying that this team won about five or six or seven too many games. Well, back to Loyola for a second, Teddy. Is there any any quality or theme to that team that you can point to right now that says, okay, it's been so long since a team from Chicago had success? Um yeah, I still group Northwestern into that category. I mean, Northwestern broke through yesterday, last year. Now Loyola does it. Everyone wants to know, like, what's up with DePaul? I guess what I'm asking yeah. is, did they tap into anything that these other schools haven't um, to get the success? Like, is there a blueprint that other teams can follow, or is this just kind of Porter just built this thing up over time and it and it worked out? Yeah, Adam, I'd, I'd say it's three words. Hire good people. <laughs> and the schools that do that, like Northwestern, survive, you know, thrive. The schools that don't do it, um, oftentimes, like Illinois and DePaul, you see what happens to them. I mean, it starts with the president, it's the board of trustees, it's the athletic director, it's the coaches. You know, when you hire, you know, Tim Beckman and, you know, and Ron Zook and, and different people like that, uh, you know, when you're content with rehiring Dave Lato. Um, you know, Jerry Wainwright, nice guy, uh, Oliver Purnell, awful hire. It, it's just really who you hire. And yeah. Porter Moser, for those of us who know him, to know him is to just know that he's going to be a success. He, he is bright. He's funny. He's unbelievably diligent um, and just determined. You know, if I were hiring a coach, I would rarely, rarely go the Lovey Smith route. I would rarely hire a guy who's already made his name, who really doesn't need to succeed to cement, you know, some kind of legacy. I mean, Lovey Smith in five or 10 years, whatever it is, people will view him as, Oh, he was the successful NFL coach. He did well with the bears, respected guy. And people, I don't think will even really think about Illinois, you know, whereas when, if you hire Porter Moser, or Chris Collins, like those guys, their entire, their livelihood depends on succeeding at this job, everything they put into it. Um, it, you know, is Dave Lato comfortable? I mean, is he financially set? He probably is. So it, it, it all comes down to who you hire. And obviously some jobs are way tougher than others. But, like, if you got a great coach in at DePaul, there's no way it wouldn't be a success. Uh, can we get Teddy Greenstein's pick for the uh, tournament Final Four and who's winning it all? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let me, uh, let me be consistent. I busted it out in the tribute here. So I have my Final Four is Arizona. Okay. Um. Oh God, I should know this offhand, shouldn't I? Since I just sent them in yesterday. All right, here they are. We have Arizona, Michigan, Villanova, and Duke, and I got Villanova winning it all. Um, Interesting. I see a yeah, lot of people I mean, picking Villanova. 
Yeah, and it's funny about Michigan. Like, I would have picked them to, to make the Final Four four or five weeks ago. Like, when they won the Big Ten tournament, I was like, oh, man, now the secret's out. <laughs> now everybody's going to pick right. them. I, I love that team because there's such a blend of, uh, of different ways they can score. And, and this is – like, John Beeline is always revered for his offense. You know, his players, where they move without the ball. and You know, it's a system that's tough to defend. Michigan's defense is spectacular this year. So that team is rolling. So, yeah, Arizona, Michigan, Villanova, and Duke are my final four. I like it. All right. Before we let you go, wanted to talk a little bit of golf with you, too. Yeah. Uh, the, the, there's no question that this weekend the Tiger excitement was back. I'm still a little skeptical about whether or not Tiger is actually back. Uh, t- tell me what you think about his chances going forward. Obviously, the big question is the Masters coming up in a few weeks. But, but yeah. beyond that, I mean, can, can he compete consistently? Obviously, not like he used to, but just for a whole season, that would be great to see. Well, it's it's amazing. I mean, I don't know what back fusion surgery is like, but I'd imagine it's uh, it's pretty involved. I mean, when you think about where Tiger was late last summer, I mean, a total washout. I mean, you have the videotape of him. He's got all the drugs in his system. You know, the guy's a complete disaster. You think you're, you know, he's probably never even going to tee it up again. And he even said at one point, like, if he plays golf again, it's gravy. I mean, that was almost like a concession speech. That was almost like announcing his retirement. To get from that point <laughs> to this point, about six or seven months later, I mean, it would have been a thousand to one. I mean, he played beautifully this weekend. His, his club at speed is as good as anybody in the game, which is incredible for a guy who's his age and, and has been through what he's been through. And his butt on 17, 44 feet, right to left. You know, even his detractors over the years, and I am absolutely one of them, we're all in Tiger's corner now. Because one, we're just so sick of writing about, you know, you can't win. And two, we realize how good he is for the game. I mean, forget about the fact that casual fans tune in when he's doing well. I would not have been watching the Valspar Championship if Tiger weren't there, and I cover golf, so yeah. it's incredible for the game, super exciting, and yeah, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a force in these majors, especially the Masters, where he is, you know, he can be a top 10 or top 15 guy, even when he's not at his best. Highest rated non-major PGA Tour broadcast since 2013, and that was the Players' Championship, yeah. which is essentially the fifth major. The Valspar Championship saw 27 million minutes streamed across the Golf Channel NBC Sports digital platform. So obviously the Tiger effect. To me, Tiger, um, like Adam and I started the conversation at the top of the show about, okay, is this real? Is he back? And I pointed to that club head speed. It's the second fastest average club head speed of the weekend, of the tournament. To me, that that's like a, that's the sign. That means he's confident. That means he's healthy. That means he's pain-free, and he's, le- he's letting it rip out there. I mean, 320-yard drives, you know? So to me, that's, that's the sign... For, that says, okay, he is back. He absolutely is. And, and how about this? I mean, you know, he had the chip yips a couple years ago. and He chipped wonderfully like, this weekend. He, his short game was great. And then his putting, you know, everything people have always said about putting is nobody becomes a better putter in your 40s. You have all this scar tissue. You start to think about all the ones you've missed. You know, it, it's different when you're 18, 19, 20, you know, 20, up to the maybe late 20s to where you're just kind of free and easy. But he's putting beautifully. I didn't see him miss any short ones. So it is absolutely amazing to think, you know, if we could have a leaderboard with 
Spieth, Phil, Tiger, Justin Thomas. We'd be bridging all these generations. And uh, the sport could use it because as great as it is right now with all this talent, man, the casual fans are not watching without Tiger. You know, I think the media and fans, I guess, kind of manufactured a Tiger-Phil rivalry that really was never there or genuine. Ooh, but really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't think that you you don't think that people were like kind of in the early stages. People were like, okay, this this is kind of a little rivalry here. You didn't feel that at all. Oh, I think it was a total, but I think it was a legitimate rivalry. Oh, I I, I don't like. Well, I guess it'd be how you define a rivalry. I mean, the guys are are buddies. Well, I mean, they were fighting over majors. I mean, if if Tiger weren't around, Phil would have like twelve majors right now. I mean, he's the guy who got in his way so many times. Now they didn't have you know one-on-one duels like Jack and Arnie did because I guess there's so many other well, players See, that's why happen to work that that's way. That's why I've never looked at it like a rivalry because there hasn't been that signature moment of those two going toe-to-toe mm-hmm. on a Sunday at a major in a major on Sunday. So, right. Like, there was so Pebble that, Beach, but that was a non-major. Yeah, it's true. It, we've gotten a little unlucky, unlucky I, in that vein. I was just going to say, I mean, leading up to it, like, how awesome would that be to see finally that signature moment? Phil, lefty. The Masters on Sunday going toe to toe. That that would be that signature moment we've never really had from those two guys. That's true. I mean, we've we've waited twenty something years, and now, mm-hmm. right? Tiger is what maybe forty three, and Phil is forty six or forty seven. Can you imagine yeah. if it happens now? And <laughs> Phil obviously played beautifully two weeks ago. So yeah. It's just a world of exciting possibilities coming up at Augusta. Well, hopefully it lives up to it at Augusta. We'll, we'll be looking forward to that. Enjoy the tournament, too, Teddy. It's good talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy, I enjoyed it, boys. Be well. Thanks, Teddy. All right. Teddy Greenstein, Chicago Tribune. Make sure you check out his coverage, chicagotribune.com and in your newspaper. We'll take one have you, last have break. Have you looked at it as a rivalry, Phil and, Phil and Tiger? Not really. See, I haven't either. Just because I, I think rivalries are built on consistently playing against an opponent. Yeah, that's a lot of times when you. And see that's hard that. to do in golf. It to is get hard to, to do line it. up, right. right? But and I, yeah. I think I'm sure, like in in their own minds, like yeah, they probably looked at each other as you know they were one and two for for such a long time. But I don't, I don't think it was like this fierce rivalry because they don't in golf. It's not like you're consistently going to be going toe to toe with a guy like do Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth feel like rivals? Not at all because they really haven't gone yeah. like toe to like, toe on a pro- Sunday. Probably Rory and and. And Jordan Spieth right now should be rivals, and but it's they're, they're not their games don't line up like at the right times. Right, one's always slumping. You, you need like, like you need like two or three Sundays of like high leverage, high you know a lot of drama involved and stuff like that to be considered a rivalry. I, I almost feel my, like my Sergio point. and Tiger was a bigger rivalry. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely, because yeah. those two came up as the phenoms. Right. Plus, Phil needs to just rock that red and black one Sunday and just really. <laughs> he get would never. Skin. He would never. He's smarter than that. Just give him the old fist pump. I'd love to see Patrick Reed wear that on a Sunday at major and have to play against Tiger. There's zero chance he would win. Yeah, it'd be red, black, and yellow then. <laughs> get it? No, I no, don't. I don't. I'm looking at no. Hoag like, no, like don't get thinking, it. Wait, what's the yellow? What's what the yellow here? Oh, dude, because he'd be peeing his pants. Come on. Oh, oh. solid. But I did. It, okay, yeah. it'd be tough right. to see the yellow on a black pants. I mean, that's why I guess we we lost the joke. <laughs> okay. We'll take, we're going to analyze it. We'll take a, our last time out. We'll come back with Buried Headlines on Sports Central. All right, you hear the music. Time for Buried Headlines. And I want to start with this. Did you guys see uh, Richard Sherman negotiated his own contract with the 49ers? Yep. 
And and a bunch of I don't know, it's like Peter King basically works inside the 49ers front office cuz he's got another one of these stories where he like knows everything along. I don't know if him and John Lynch are just I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, we got all the details. And uh, Richard Sherman's quoted, too. Um, And then Pro Football Talk had the contract details. But basically, there was all this initial talk like, man, Richard Sherman went out there and worked himself this great deal where he's actually making just as much as he would have in Seattle. And he did it all on his own without an agent. And then when you see how the contract's structured... He basically has to play like the Richard Sherman from four years ago to earn all this money. And then he's quoted as saying, "If he, if, I think if he makes the Pro Bowl, then his money for next year becomes guaranteed. But again, he still has to reach all... Like, they can't cut him. But then he still has to reach all the, uh, the, um, the incentives on his own with how he plays. So he's like, look, if I just play... If I play the way I know I'm capable of, then I'm guaranteed the money next year. And... Like so, that's great for me. And then, but the thing is, dude, about that is that's what they want you to do. That means they're winning. If you play up to that, they don't care. Then that you get the money next year, they're going to be happy about that because they got a really good player that was worth their investment. The, the contracts that you structured your contract exactly how the 49ers wanted you to. You only make the money if you play well. Well, he's got this tweet from a couple days ago, actually, where he um, has his numbers since 2011, uh, the interceptions, passes defensed, uh, completion percentage allowed, and passer rating allowed, and it's all first or great, you know, first or tied for first, and it just seems like he took that to the negotiation table and said, I can do this, I've done it since 2011, so pay me my money. Right, whereas I think an agent would have looked at it like, you're 30 coming off an Achilles tendon tear. Like, one of the first incentives is $2 million for passing his physical to start a training camp. Like, okay, I'm assuming if you put that in there, he's going to be ready. But what if he has a setback in OTAs or something? Right. Like, right now, I'd be like, I ain't playing until training camp. Like, sign the contract. Now I'm holding out already. It's just weird. Um, All right. DePaul has been mentioned a couple times here. And this is actually, I think, a significant story. Uh, this is from the Sun-Times. While Loyola's fan base is celebrating the Ramblers' first NCAA tournament since 1985, DePaul is fed up with the state of the Blue Demons program. DePaul uh, ended a disappointing 11-20 and season with a loss last week to Marquette in the Big East tournament, and some fans have had enough. A group of, quote, concerned students and alumni purchased a full-page ad in the Sunday Sun-Times calling on the university to fire athletic director Gene Lenti Ponsetto. <laughs> DePaul basketball is just so bad. And DePaul people, fans, every year like, all right, we're kind of, we're turning the corner. Just give us a year. DePaul's back, and now they just suck. They're horrible. Every year. This well, is the year they're turning the corner. But I think they yeah, have a no, point here. The ad, which was paid for by a GoFundMe campaign, broke down DePaul basketball in the last 15 years and claimed Ponsetto was the one common thread. For the program's problems, including 11 losing seasons and 233 total losses. She's now hired three different basketball coaches. I mean, how many hires do you get? It's horrible. I want DePaul to be good. And it's not like her leaving is going to have any... I mean, I can't say I know everything about all their athletic programs, but like Doug Bruno is going to be just fine with the women's team. Right. You know what I like as an idea? 
What do you got? Call Tom Crean. Yeah. Tom Crean okay. was a good coach at Marquette. Call him. See if he's interested. How much do you have to pay him? They have money. They paid Oliver Purnell a ton of money. Okay? Line that thing up. Get him in there. I'm with you there. My buried headline, and I don't know if it's necessarily, I'm sure you guys saw this, but it sort of feels like a buried headline considering just how slow and depressing this Major League Baseball free agency period has been. Jake Arrieta finally has a home. Yeah. The Philadelphia Phillies, three years, 75 million bucks. Which honestly, for a little bit there, I'm like, wow, Arietta might end up getting like a one-year deal. A two-year deal. There was two two years ago, Jake Arietta probably thought he was going to get something like Max Scherzer got. He oh, probably sure. thought he was going to get 150 to 200 million dollars. He he was unhittable. He was he he had a better batting average than he was allowing. Didn't the Cubs offer him something at some point? Uh, they didn't. They never confirmed that. No. There was at least a report, though. There was a report, and I believe Theo addressed it on the first day of spring camp, and I. He wouldn't really get into it, but I don't think they ever did. But I'll bet you if he if he really wanted to hammer something out with the Cubs a couple years ago, they could have done something. Yeah, I think the it Car- would have been at the Cubs price, but it would have been more than what he's getting right now from the Phillies. Yeah. You're probably right. It would have been longer. I, I think, long, it I think it's more. years. I mean, it's still $25 bucks a year. So, honestly, I think he got more than I, I thought he was going to get. I'm like, for holy... Jake Arrieta. That is crazy, Jake. Two years removed from his Cy Young... Season, one of the best seasons ever. Uh, You know, which kind of has me thinking: like, should Rick Hahn be taking advantage of this and getting guys? Like, should he have given Mustakis a four-year deal? Because you probably could have got him for a hell of a lot less than what guys are probably going to get next offseason. You could have got guys at at bargain prices this offseason. I don't know if there was anybody that really made sense for the Sox, but at least. But if you're trying to make a run at Machado next year, you don't want that on your books. Yeah, but look at what some of these guys are getting paid, man. Like, you could have got somebody. I don't know necessarily who. I'm just saying, like, maybe they could have been a little more aggressive and it could have still lined up with a competitive timeline. You could have got a guy maybe. at a maybe. bargain price. If it's a good flip guy, I'm all for it. Yeah, love a good flip guy. Love a flip guy. All right, uh, Andrew Kashner signed a two-year deal with the Orioles, and his contract contains one interesting little tidbit. Kashner would not have signed his two-year deal with the Orioles if they had not allowed him to keep his beard. People are so weird. <laughs> That's it. A lot of these teams have these beard rules. I've heard all sorts of weird stuff in contracts. I think Allen Iverson had a bonus built into his contract. If, like, if he scored 30 points on a night with a full moon, he got like a 50 grand bonus or something. <laughs> Just weird stuff. Yeah, Werewolf. Yeah, the werewolf. Iverson yeah. is a werewolf. So this is from the Baltimore Baltimore Sun. Cashner said, I just think it's a part of who I am, and it's a part of my personality. It's just me. I think this length is kind of what it's supposed to be, I guess. All right, man. I always think of Cashner as the uh, Anthony Rizzo deal. Yeah, never really was right. like, oh, is that that bearded dude? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I just think of, uh, it's the guy Theo traded to get Rizzo. All right. Uh, a couple of Bears notes real quick before we get out of here. Josh Bellamy, Bears tendered him for one more year, put up with it. If he's playing wide receiver, I said this at the start of last year, they have big problems. They had big problems. So same thing. If he plays special teams, that's fine. If he's playing wide receiver and having arguments in the hallway, not fine. Uh, Cam Meredith also tendered. We knew that. He's coming off the ACL. Patrick Scales, a long snapper, not tendered. 
So Bears are probably going to need a new long snapper, too. Bradley Sowell doesn't sound like a football player. Oh, yeah, two-year contract for Bradley Sowell. Soul is how you say it? I think so. But it's spelled like Powell, kind of, with an S. It is and We say Powell. Powell. We don't say Powell. Sowell. Anyways, the name doesn't sound like a football player. Okay. Hi, I'm Bradley Sowell. I'm here to maul you at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> it just sounds like, I don't know, an accountant's name or something. When I see the name, that's what I think. It doesn't an accountant? Like All right. Well, I think just he's, like you're he's nice, a versatile uh, swing guard tackle guy. Bear down. Bradley you- Sal's coming back, folks. Get excited. All right. We better get out of here before we get cut off the air again. <laughs> that happens. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, tomorrow, we're hoping to put some, a lot of football tomorrow somewhere or the other. We're working on some things. Uh, hopefully, Adam John's involved. Um, but I don't know. He's being confusing. He just texted me said he's sitting in a Starbucks by my house right now. So, I, creeper. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing there. He's stalking me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, all right. But it is uh, it is football week. It is a free agency. So plenty of football coming up next couple of days. What did we uh, screw up today? During the lacrosse talk, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned a baseball player's kid getting bitten by a snake. Yes. Yeah. Did you say Axelrod? I did. It's Axford. John Axford. Oh. Yeah. Because you said yeah. David Axelrod. Yeah, so I was thinking, didn't Dylan and I'm like, did Axelrod pitch in the majors before he climbed to fame with President Obama? That's what I was thinking of David Axelrod. Bill and Wendy must have been really confused. Is that what I said, David Axelrod? Yeah, that's yeah. why I'm like, is there a pitcher named David Axelrod? Well, like the White the Sox had a guy Dylan Axelrod. Okay, so I thought yeah. so. That's what I started looking up. <laughs> and then uh, you said Clark Kellogg went to North Carolina. He went to o- Ohio State. Kenny Smith is the North. Yeah, Carolina. That, so that's what they did. It was it was Clark Kellogg was breaking down the Buckeyes. Kenny Smith was breaking down North Carolina, and Charles was breaking down Auburn. Wow, it's like that's your insight on the, really upset I on each that. region. Yep. Great stuff. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Thanks, Ooh, Joe. TBS needs to fix that one. Yeah. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Sports Central. <laughs>